An auto layout constraint walks into a bar. The bartender says, why the long face? And the constraint says, just not satisfied. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to episode 39 of the More Than Just Code podcast. Uh, my name is Tim Mitchell, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hey there. And we're also joined again by our guest host, Greg Heo in uh, Toronto, Ontario, just down the street from me. Hello, podcast listeners. And uh, we also have Mark down in San Jose, California. Hey, everybody. Uh, our, our buddy Jaime added to the post to our podcast notes uh, a link from uh, Marco Armit's website, marco.org, an article that he wrote exposing his reworking of the Overcast Watch app. So, uh, Aaron, do you want to lead off on that one? I would love to. So, if you recall a few weeks ago when, or maybe two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the state of apps on the watch and uh, how they're somewhat problematic at best, I was uh, I called out Marco in particular uh, for his Overcast app, which was decent but flawed. And um, probably not as problematic as many other apps on the watch are, but still in need of some rethinking, and I was gratified to learn Around the time, I believe I mentioned that Marco agreed, he had tweeted earlier that he was rethinking the app. And so this week, we have the result of that thinking. He's launched a new version of the Overcast app for the watch, and he posted a big, long blog article explaining what he did. And this is a great lesson for all watch app developers, I think, because it lays out uh, some of the thinking that uh, kind of veers away from the idea that the watch is just a smaller iPhone. And the overcast client for the watch is now a much more direct and focused application that is maybe a little off the wall in terms of the UI that it presents. Uh, it's not very phone-like at all when you think about it. But it's also much more direct and much more focused on the task of just playing podcasts. Um, because it's just a remote control application, um, it is, I would say, maniacally focused on the work of letting you remote control your your podcast client, the one that's running on your, your phone. So he takes you through the way that uh, Marco redesigned the view controllers that are inside the watch app and um, basically stripping away this sort of navigational hierarchical structure, sort of phone-like, if you will, and replacing it all with basically one view. And this view shows the current state of the podcast that's playing, but it also shows what's coming up next. And so you have the play controls, but you can also manage what's happening next. And that's pretty much all you can do. Everything else is buried under the force tab. Um, and so once you start using it, you realize um, that it's a little unconventional, but it actually works very well. And Notably, like even before I realized that the app had been updated, I started noticing that I was using the Overcast Watch app much more than I had been before um, because it was just that much um, more intuitive, more natural to use on the watch. So uh, it, it's, it's a really big deal. I, I recommend that you kind of go through this. If, if anyone is interested in watch development, I can't believe that they haven't read this already. But the idea is that... Um, a rethinking of how UI works on the watch um, 
once you actually have a watch, and that's the big problem, of course, is that nobody had one, and that's why we had all these terrible apps. But now with a watch in hand or on wrist, if you will, um, using the, the app, you get the sense of exactly uh, what works and what doesn't. And that is how we ended up with Overcast for the watch 2.0. Just as much as we sort of talked about. Mm-hmm. What? So, Sorry, just I just, that was my, my, my watch. <laughs> decided to start playing the music. or uh, a, podcast. a podcast. You were just playing with it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if you, if you were talking about the fact that the app has already been updated or... or... Yes, it has already been updated. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. So, so, yeah, the thing is, when you look at it, if you go to the watch app on your watch, and, you know, I'll do it right now, what the heck. Um, the thing that you see is that it's um, it's a play interface, and it shows you on the top left in a little tiny thumbnail the cover image of the currently playing podcast right mm-hmm. and then immediately to the right there's two more images and those are the next two queued up podcasts that are going to play right okay mm-hmm. um and the thing is is that it's kind of weird looking because they're faded out you know the upcoming ones right and you're not really sure what to do right um but if you tap one of those coming up podcasts, then you can actually alter the order based on all of the queued podcasts that are coming up on your list. And so as you're playing, say, the More Than Just Code podcast, and you see that um, the, uh, the ATP podcast is next, but you want to listen to the talk show instead, you can tap it and then switch the play order, and it's very simple and easy to do. Right. Um, and that's, that is pretty much all you ever want to do on the watch hmm. if you're using it as a remote control which which I do obviously so um, it's a it's a really great focused um, rethink about how this app should work on the watch so I'm a big fan and uh, uh, it's great to see that that you know Marco is, is extremely nimble of course as a developer and he can you know kind of do that very quickly come around to a new way of thinking and come up with a new concept for the app that completely changes the way he had it before. Right, cool. Hmm. So I'm a big fan. Now, um, I, I, I think we should definitely talk about this article if anyone has anything else to say about it, because it sort of leads into my next topic, which... Um, well, the only, only thing I'm curious about, of course, is, is, is I do have the updated version of the app, I think. It doesn't seem to show us in updates, but I'm not sure that I... Somehow my watch has got the right version on it. Hmm. You should have it pretty much right away. Like it updates just like it does on the phone. No, yeah. So, so let me describe to you what I'm looking at. So I, I'm okay. looking at like it says more than just code podcast across the top, and then it's got the episode number, a play button, and it's got 30 and 30 in the lower right and left corner. Yep. And then it says minus 61 minutes and shows the time. Um, and you only see one thumbnail image. Yeah, I think I think I, I'm looking at I'm looking at the the I think I've got for some reason on my watch I've got the old version of the app. Sounds like yeah. it. How yeah. are the buttons arranged in the triangle shape or straight across? Straight across. Well, it's the, the first view is like it says overcast and it's like a t- it's like a scrolling table view and you if you and it clicks yeah, into it and it yeah. pages over which is what he was saying was the original idea, right? And oh yeah, yeah, that's the yeah. old one. Yeah, yes. I don't know. You need to update, bro. I just checked that and it's not it's not. Uh, hmm. That's weird. Mm. I didn't do anything either. I updated the app on the phone. The app store said I've got an update. The little badge came up. Yeah. I updated, and my watch magically. Yeah, my my, uh, my app is up to date, but I'm just uh, curious as to why my watch would not have updated it. Hmm. Very strange. Well, anyway. it didn't. So there it is. It needs to. It's update. a 1.0. There you go. Reading uh, the post really reminded me of <laughs> when responsive design came around the web, and people were like, 
or the bad websites were like, oh, let's just shrink down our site <laughs> and to fit the width, and then that's going to be our mobile site. And then this whole idea of designing the mobile first and saying, just get the core of it, design the mobile first, and then the desktop version will be like an expanded version mm -hmm. of the mobile, I was going to say watch, do a, do a Tim, of the, of the mobile version, and then do the desktop version second. And I don't think it's quite that with this, but I wonder if that'll be a useful design exercise to say, I'm going to make my own podcast app or whatever it is and mm -hmm. think, what would I do on the watch? What's the core of my app that I really want to get to right away? Because I think that was the lesson I took from Marco's post was that he realized, what's the thing I want to do? Why is it buried down three levels deep in navigation? Right. Yeah, exactly. Thinking of that core of the app and saying, that's going to be front and center. What can I do as the modal, that's sort of the next level thing. And I think the context menu, the force touch menu being limited to four things really helps you kind of nail down what are, what are the essentials that I need. And yeah. then I wonder if thinking of your next app idea that way and then saying, okay, this is my watch extension. Now let me think about the app and how am I going to design the <laughs> flow of the app. I wonder if how useful that, because I found that really useful when doing websites and doing the responsive stuff mobile first and then going for the widescreen. Mm -hmm. right. so I'm curious right. to maybe try right. that out and, and think it through in that sense. Well, it's interesting because when I, I was playing around with one of my apps uh, a couple of weeks ago, try, you know, just sort of, I give, you know, when I first got my watch, I went first thing I wanted to do was build something and throw it on the watch, right? So, I was playing around with the idea of of building some sort of interface for the watch, and I kind of just in my mind, I just took the simplest things that I could do that are essentially the same app, and and I wasn't even thinking about like you know going to the the de the extension and, and getting from the getting information from the main app I just thought well I'll just replicate the 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 core functionality on the watch right um, and, and not concern myself with and, and just pick, break it down to the, the barest essentials right so yeah no that's uh, it's exactly what it is you you have to think of this extremely bare bones concept of what your app does and how how the watch can reflect that um, and part of it is it's performance, right? So, you know, having having a nested array of view controllers tunneling through from your um, your phone to your watch uh, is a real problem, right? <laughs> we uh, attended uh, Greg and Tim and I attended a talk at Taco last night, um, given by Robin Senior of the Score, where he talked about some of the issues around pushing content from the, the <laughs> here I go from the phone to the watch and uh, some of the performance consequences um, and how to how to come up with strategies for dealing with that. And, you know, part of Marco's work is dealing with, with that issue as well. Um, and so his work really simplified the view controllers that are going to the watch. And that, of course, has performance consequences, good ones in this case. So um, something that, that needs to be thought of as well. It's like, how simple can you make it? Now, can you make it simpler? <laughs> uh, because that makes all the difference in having a, a, an app that, that performs at all reasonably, mm. uh, so I'm a big fan of that. So you were going to you were going to talk segue into your next point about Siri. Yeah, perform segue. All right. <laughs> if segue identifier is Siri say, wait, API. Wait, I got to I got to <laughs> do some optional binding and make sure we're yep, going yep. to the right view controllers, set some parameters. All right, let's go. Exactly. Are we all set? Mm -hmm. We're good. <laughs> make sure you do your proper import statement for the blog.tapp.com post so that we can reference it in our perform segue method. So let's think about what actually makes a great watch app. And 
Unfortunately, I don't think it's possible to make one today because in my using of the watch over the last three and a half weeks now, one of the things I've, I've found to be the most powerful interaction is voice. Mm -hmm. Using voice to talk to the watch and get something back out of it has been transformational. It is the absolute, undeniably the best thing about this watch in my mind, being able to speak to it and have it do what I want. And granted, it doesn't work perfectly 100% of the time. Sometimes, in some contexts, it doesn't work at all. But the idea is there, right? So if I can ask it uh, to set a timer, for example. Siri, you know, I want a uh, timer for 10 minutes because I'm cooking, for example. I can just theoretically lift the watch to my face and say, hey, Siri. <laughs> it doesn't always work. But that's the concept, right? And uh, responding to text. Somebody texts me and I'm walking my dog and I can just respond by lifting my wrist or hmm. if I have to like some kind of animal pushing the crown in and dictating my response back and it working so very well so reliably right. Um, we talked last week about the Globe and Mail app mm -hmm. and how it had its seemingly poor integration with the with the phone. And last night at the taco meeting, Brian Gillum, the uh, developer from uh, the working group uh, who was responsible for developing the Globe app, uh, sat me down and showed me how handoff actually does work between the watch and the phone. We laid our phones on the table and put our watches out and uh, opened the Globe app on the, on the watch, brought up an article, and then looked on the home screen of the phone, and you can see the handoff action that's available there. It does actually work. Hmm. So... Um, I just didn't quite get how that interaction came off, but it does actually work. Um, but I would still say, and I think I mentioned this last week, that speech is the preferred way of getting information out of my watch. Because if I'm going to have um, sort of any interaction with that watch, it's going to be if I'm looking for information, I'm actively seeking information. And so I might say to my watch, you know, hey Siri, <laughs> sorry for what? Yeah. Um, what what are the top headlines or what's going on in in sports? Sports ball, for example. And right now, there's no way for a third-party app to respond to that because there is no Siri API. Right. And I tend to think that we're reaching a critical mass here now with speech being so crucial to the, the most important interactions you have with your watch, that Siri API support is more important now than it's ever been. Um, ever since Siri was introduced with the 4S, <laughs> um, some three, four years ago, um, we've seen speculation about uh, a Siri API, including this blog post that we're linking to in the show notes mm -hmm. uh, from blog.tapp.com, mm -hmm. um, wherein they kind of lay out you know, this guy's thinking about what a Siri API might look like, uh, which I find super interesting and uh, is actually full of problems and <laughs> makes it quite clear why a Siri API is not here because it would be a very difficult thing to put together, I think. Um, but to my mind, it's uh, absolutely necessary that Apple come up with a way to do it. I mean, there's no question that a Siri API does exist. It's a private API inside Apple because there are various, at least third party, uh, let, me, let me put it a different way. Um, 
uh, what, what what do you call it? Those those apps that Apple ships that are not part of the phone, the system. You know, like uh, Find My Friends and... Uh, um, what do you call it? Yeah, you know, like the, the, the second part. <laughs> Apple, Apple third-party apps. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, because they don't ship as part of the operating system. Oh, you, know, oh, you like, mean, you, yeah, you have to download them like the... Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they're not, right? they're not so part of the some of those apps. Yeah. yeah, some of those apps support Siri, right? Yeah. Like Find My Friends. Sure. If you don't have Find My Friends installed and you ask where, you know, your wife is, um, it'll, it'll show you a contact sheet. But if you have Find My Friends installed, it will actually bring up Find My Friends oh, and show okay. you, right? Hmm. Right. Um, true story. So there, there, there are APIs uh, for accessing Siri, but you can imagine, and this article that I'm posting here from TAP uh, mentions the sort of two dimensions that you have along with, um, with a potential Siri API, one of them being services, you know, like an, an app announcing that it's capable of dealing with a particular type of request, such as playing music or playing audio, right? Um, and then that's like one set of functionality. And another set of functionality is um, semantics, is like being able to interpret intention. And that, of course, is much more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And something that developers don't have a lot of experience with. Mm. So... You know, like, uh, you know, say, say uh, Magpie were, had a watch app, right? And then you you could ask Mag or ask the watch, you know, what what videos do I have saved in Magpie? Mm-hmm. It would have to be able to parse that it's for that particular app, and then my app would have to somehow register that it has this capability when a certain set of keywords are thrown at it. In order to hand back this kind of information, just problematic at best. You know, I just don't know how that would be done. And I've, I'm obviously not a linguistics expert, so you know, I, I don't have any idea how that might work. Now, um, in this app, oh, sorry, app, this blog post from tapp.com, um, there's some really great comments, and one of the people there mentions, here it is, it's the third, third comment down. He mentions a couple of features in iOS uh, that, that could help with this. And the, a newer one that he's talking about is called Latent Semantic Mapping Framework. You ever heard of that? Mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so apparently this is a, a framework that has been included in, uh, in iOS. And it would help with um, establishing links between you know, the words that you say and uh, intention. Um, in the operating system. Hmm. And there's apparently a WWDC video session about that and might lay the f- groundwork for this kind of API. And there's a bunch of other great comments in here, too. I highly recommend you read this article if you're interested in what a Siri API might look like. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, also to point out that I don't think you mentioned that this this, po- this post is three years old. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. I mean, this... This came out around the time that Siri came out, mm-hmm. right? So this is when this is when people were thinking about it. Notably, you haven't seen a lot of activity around people thinking, okay, what would a Siri API look like? Because we all had it out when Siri first arrived, but I think it's taken on this, and this is just me t- talking right now, right? I think it has an additional urgency to it now that we're on a watch. I think Siri is the watch's killer app. Okay, I'm just going to lay it out like that. And it's not... 
fully expressed enough. And I should also add <laughs> that just because um, you know there's a killer app doesn't mean that Apple is going to develop it. I, mean, I think they ought to, but you know, like take the iPad for example. Apple has the iPad and it's it's dwindling a bit, and I don't feel that Apple has fully developed what the iPad could be. It hasn't given it enough of its own oomph, if you will. But they've left it. You know, it's it's they've said we're going to keep it simple, right? And they could make the same decision with Siri on the watch. And I'm afraid that they will. That they'll say the watch, uh, or sorry, Siri uh, does what it does. It has a limited set of things that you can ask it. It will always be that way. Hmm. Um, I hope that's not the case. Um, and I guess, you know, the thing is, is that uh, we'll be looking at iOS 9 introductions at WWDC next month. And we're going to be hoping that Siri gets an API at that point. Will they or won't they? I don't know. What do you guys think? I think I mentioned last week on the show that Chris Wagner had speculated, he wrote an article on Medium that speculated that, that uh, Apple would somehow open up Siri to uh, to extensibility and even spotlight on, on, on um, the Macs. But um, yeah, it, it definitely does make sense. I mean, that, that you know, you you could, you know, have some sort of key, maybe maybe a phrase or something, you know, get playlists, you know, from Magpie kind of thing, you know, like you, you put, put get playlist in your in your um, info p list, and then you know when you say hey Siri, get you know playlist from Magpie, fart goes over to Magpie, does a background request, and you know gets that gets that information back to you, right? So, but you can imagine the complications, right? Like. Say I never think that anybody would use the word playlist, and so no. That, that's what I'm know. saying. Like maybe you have to bake it in. Like we we've done that with with uh, notifications before the the latest iteration of notifications, where we added a tag to the to the um, to the the push notification that goes up, and then when 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 the, the notification come back, comes back to the app and you tap on it, we pass that tag over to the app, and then we go, oh, you want to go to this part of the app, and and uh, we yeah, but no, like I don't, I think you missed my point, yeah. like. What what language are we going to imagine being connected to what function? American. What words? American. The, what words, I mean. <laughs> like, yeah, actually, that's a whole other yeah. issue is languages, yeah, exactly. right? So, you know, if, if I have to, like, Siri is available in a ton of different languages. Yes, of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if somebody tries to speak Spanish and my, my app doesn't support Spanish, but never even mind that. Yeah. Never mind that. Never mind, yeah. Just what what. What words am I going to support for every particular function? And do I have to invent these words? And what if I don't invent the right words? Yeah, that, that's what somebody I'm, that's tries what I'm to use it I'm and just, it doesn't work. I was just speculating that, that one way you could do it is by having a phrase that you, Aaron Vay, comes up with and puts into the app and you make it part of your part of your documentation or whatever. That's not good enough. No. I like, no, that's not good. I like how you use the word complication, Aaron, thinking back to the watch. And people say, <laughs> yeah. you know, those things on the watch are called complications, too, those little yep, customizations. Yep. Oh, are they? And yeah. I, yeah, anything other than yeah. the time on the watch, like any watch, not just the Apple Watch. Like uh, the little thing that shows a date on your sure. real watch is a, they call it a complication in the watch world or whatever. Hmm. Um, but imagine those little hooks, like if the Apple said, okay, music player apps, if you say play in any language, and Ooh. Apple knows this word play and it would normally start up the music app but what if i registered my app as an audio player and i registered that and i said no i can also i also know how to play things and then if you said 
play some song, some whatever with Spotify. And if you、mm. said that, then Apple would say, okay, I know what playing is. I know the concept of play, regardless of what language you're speaking to me. I know that idea. Right. And you said the word Spotify, which Apple, you know, you can say like open Spotify and、exactly. Apple can launch apps. Yeah. So I can imagine if. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine if this API had those set number of hooks for playing, maybe even. That's the one I can think of. I was going to say email, but unless Apple lets you pick、uh, apps, you know, what, what web browser do you want? What mail app do you、oh, want? Oh, yeah.、Right. Playing is a good example because lots of apps already do that. And then you could say, I know how to play. You said the word Spotify or you said the word Overcast or whatever. So I'm going to send launch Overcast and say play. And then, whatever other words were in there, some kind of fuzzy context, and pass that into you, and then it's your job. And then, if you say Overcast play more than just code, and I wrote Overcast, I would look at that string that's sent along more than just code, say, hey, there's a podcast in my subscriptions、yeah. matching that, and I'm going to play that. So, I can imagine Apple giving a few hooks like that to specific actions, and what the word to trigger that is, whether it's play or start or whatever,、mm-hmm. that'll be up to Apple's. Analysis, all you would register is to say, I know how to play, I know how to email, well, I know how to message in quotation marks, right? So, Messenger, WhatsApp, any app can send、yeah. a message. Register your own、yeah. words. You know, you, the first time you run the app,、uh, your、mm. app says, you know, my app is called Magpie, since we're, since we're on the Magpie theme.、Uh, mm. And、uh, so, so it, the first time you run it, it, it has you record, it has you say the word and records it and then registers that with. With, you know, whatever you said registers that with,、uh, with the phone. So anytime you say it in the future, it connects it with your app. Well, a couple of things about that. First of all, is I do do a lot of audio apps, and, and it's interesting that, to me that the play button, like on your, on your, your、uh, earbuds or, or on the watch, will play the latest, the last、um, audio or video piece that you had selected. So if you were watching a, a YouTube video, it'll start、mm-hmm. to play that YouTube video. If you're listening to one of my, like the Strombo app, it'll start playing the Strombo app. If you're listening to Overcast, it'll start playing Overcast. And that seems to be the same with, with the watch, right?、Um, you know, if, I, if Overcast was the last audio app I had open on my phone and I go to my watch and go to the glance for play, it, it loads up Overcast, right?、Um, The other piece I was going to say was that、uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but it, you know how Siri mispronounces names?、Um, you can correct Siri. You can say, That's not how you say Heo. Siri will say, Well, this is how I say it. And you say, No, you say it like Heo. And then it'll basically learn how to say Greg Heo whenever I want to. Hopefully, that's, I'm saying it correctly, Greg. That's right. You have to record that. <laughs> What's that? Drop a marker, drop a marker, record that. Tell Siri. <laughs> But anyway, so, so, cause, cause I, you know, I have a couple of people in my family who have, who have German names and, and, you know, it totally messes up their names. So I've, I learned a while ago to go back into, into Siri and say, that's not how you say this particular name and, and fix it. So that kind of API stuff or that kind of learning is already built into Siri, right? Kind of like our you know, autocorrect dictionaries, which are totally out of control, but、uh, same sort of idea that they, they eventually do learn.、Uh, yeah. Some things, right? So, so it ought to be possible to connect that with launching an app. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't think that's the problem at all. <laughs> it's, just,、um, it's going to be trying to connect arbitrary words with arbitrary actions、mm-hmm. and not, not in like simple, like kindergarten level use cases like playing media. You know, like that's, that's not the reason that we don't have a Siri API today. It's for, it's for the 90% of the rest of the apps. That have arbitrary functionality that can't be covered by a simple use case.、Mm. Um, you know, like a, a to do app. 
you know, like add add a, uh, an item to my to do app in things. I don't even know if things has a watch app or, or it does. A, it does have a watch app, but yeah, I don't know okay. if it does. Whatever, yeah. but you know, um, and there there are probably fifty ways that you could express that intention, and the developer, I guess, has to sort of encapsulate those those fifty ways, mm. um, and let Siri know about them, so that when uh, an action is targeted at a particular app, the app knows what to do. That seems that seems like a really non-trivial thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of it reminds and, it, remi- it, it reminds me of the old command line stuff in in Unix, where you know you would you you would know you would <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't know what what a command that you could use, whether it was one character or three characters or five characters or whatever, and you would type in gobbledygook on the command line, and it would go, well, here's the list of things you can say. You know, you can say help. You can say you know whatever. Like just imagine like what you what you would ls you know cp rm you know all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, well, see, Siri does have that, right? You can ask Siri what what sorts of things can I ask. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Well, go ahead and do it. Um, yeah, mute your microphone. I'll, and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll do it on Fuad's phone. It'll be fine. Perfect. Um, and then he can write it back to us. <laughs> He's shaking his fist. Mm. <laughs> um, but if if every app had that, it would have to be documented, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if I if I'm the author of things and I say, you know, these these are the things that you can ask Siri to activate for me, sure. and provide specific phrases um i don't know though it seems highly problematic that does seem tough because then what are you going to do how fuzzy can it get and it's like oh i didn't say the or i didn't say uh and unless it's very short commands like uh, or i wonder if while you're in an app if you could activate siri and it would be context aware oh yeah uh, that would that might work but then the bad thing that would obviate the watch thing (laughs) yeah if you're not in the app then it, it doesn't quite work or it could be you know you are on the watch and you're looking at if you're looking at that glance or you're in the watch app and then you say, hey, Sarah, you just start talking or something like that, and it knows you're, it's in the app, I'm not sure how to, how to control that. But mm. I guess you could say, check mm. it off, mark is red or something, and there could be some set phrases, but that would be tough to get longer. Like you said, Aaron, like add a new to-do, like, the, you know, add a new to-do list item or new to-do list item or add an item, and it's like you've got to cover all of these cases. I guess you could yeah. have a big array of every possible thing that people might say. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they, do, they do sort of have that. And, and like you were saying last week, if you want to set a timer, for instance, you know, and I actually used it in, in my Toastmaster meeting last week was I was the timekeeper and I actually said to my watch, set a timer for two minutes and so on and so forth. And, and, and it did quite quite well, you know. Um, but I mean, that's a recipe that somebody's put together, like set a timer that tells Siri which app to go get, right? Well, it's part of their API. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's a lot of different ways that you can phrase that again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so but we're talking about, then you know, why not have like, the user, at, why not have the user say how they would say it, right? The, the app launches and says, okay, when the light's blinking, say, say what you would say to add an item. And it's blinking yeah. in and I say, oh, I would add, like to add an item. And that's... And that's recorded. That's how you say it, and that's and that's what it responds to. Maybe you have th- wow. two or three different ways to do it. I'd be shocked if Apple did that, though, because I mean that that sort of thing is like that's training the user to use Siri, right? Yeah. Um, I just can't imagine them doing that. Well, they taught us how to write with Newton. That was a long time ago, in a very different Apple. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem likely. So. Um, Anyway, I guess the, the the upshot here is that it's very clear why there is no Siri API today, but I think it's more important than it ever has been that there should be one. And 
um, the nut is, I have no freaking clue what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. All right, so for a couple of weeks now, we've had access to the uh, iTunes analytics that Apple promised us last year at uh, WWDC. Um, and I think uh, uh, they opened it up to beta. I think today, as of today, May 13th, they've now announced it to the public. Um, so we've had a chance to look at um, our stats. Can Mark, are you there, or did you walk away? Uh, I Both. Okay. I'm behind my microphone right now. So hold on, hold on. Well, so let me let me ask you a question then. So yeah. have you have you like for instance, you know, well, you know, Device Tracker is my most popular app for some reason, right? Yep. When I look at the views on that, I'm getting like 400 views in the month of April, right? Okay. And 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 they talked about this on the on the um, the other podcast with Mick and Jake, and um, apparently it's a, it's a people who opt in, and it's only about like 18 percent of users are actually opting in to give developers informa- developer information. And the, the numbers we have on the iTunes Connect are only one month, April, right? Right. Um, but so Device Tracker is getting like 500, 400, you know, 50 looks where all of my other apps are like nothing or, or non-existent, right? Mm-hmm. How are you, are you able to see that with, or do you still have the um, look again and all that kind of stuff and Pocatini and all that? I do. Still on the store? I do, yeah. Hold on. And are you, are you able to look at the views on that? Yep. See what's funny about that is 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 that I have a website for my app, right? Mm-hmm. Device tracker. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a video, a five dollar video from Fiverr for my app, right? And it's the only app I'm charging money for right now, and it's got the most views. And it's in productivity, so that might help too, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing views for everything. Are you seeing like an even amount, or is it skewed one way or the other? See, for me, if I looked at my skew, if I looked at my my views. And saw that, like what I'm saying is, all of my te- all of the people who's looking at my apps are looking at Device Tracker. Mm-hmm. Nobody's looking at the other ones. So why would I even bother, you know, to sell them or have them on the store or whatever, right? Right. Like it would, it would, it. To me, it points that to me that my energy should be pointed towards Device Tracker. Sure. Yeah. No. What I'm seeing makes complete sense. Um, my most views is Chinese Thirteen Card Poker, uh, yeah. and that's uh, about double. Scales and modes. Uh, well, mm. actually, if I, I still for historical reasons, I have a iPad version and a regular version. So if I add those two up, yeah, uh, it's a it's just under the Chinese thirteen card poker, which completely tracks the, uh, the sales. So this makes yeah. complete sense. Yeah, yeah. Then sounds of the orchestra is a little bit behind that poker tourney timer is a little bit behind. So that. you mean the, you're getting an even number? The number of looks equals the number of sales, or the, or proportionally? Oh, oh proportionally. Proportionally, yeah, okay, of okay. course, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, it's. Yeah, I, I wish I was getting uh, a sale for every view. That would be that would be pretty <laughs> awesome, <laughs> but I'm not. I actually am seeing something very interesting. So, uh, Chinese thirteen card poker, which is my most expensive app at four ninety nine. Yeah. yeah. Um, the ratio, I guess, the conversion ratio, you'd call it, the the number of views to the number of units sold. Yeah. Um, is, well, let's say the other way around, units over views is very low compared to the other ones, which completely right. makes sense because it's a more expensive app. It's right. making me wonder if I should lower the price on that one. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let me ask you a question. So yeah. so what, what app were we talking about where, um, do you remember, Aaron, we were talking about, to Mark about changing the price on one of his apps? So, um, we, were, we were so? talking about one, and I never did it. Yeah, Which one were we talking about? I forget. I can't remember. Was Maybe it was Scales and Modes. It might have been. Yeah, we were talking about experimenting with raising the price on that one. Yeah. Um, 
to see if to, I think we were talking about what Charles Perry was talking about with with the idea that if you have if you want to attract everybody then then have a really low price but if you want to have a yeah. specific market yep. might as well raise the price anyways for scales and modes I'm seeing about uh, a unit sold for roughly every ten views mm-hmm. and for Chinese Touching Card Poker which is a four ninety nine app I'm seeing a unit sold for roughly every thirty views. Yeah, yeah, my 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 conversions are way lower than that. But like I said, I haven't put any energy into that app, right? Right. So now, in terms of what constitutes a view, is that like when someone looks at the app detail page, or when it comes up in a search result and you kind of page by it? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't think they've told us that, um, unless it's in some documentation somewhere that I haven't read. I don't know, but it's a it's an interesting question. I'm guessing it's a it's a it's a detail. You. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, like, like I said earlier, based on what Jake was saying on their podcast, that it's so low, like it's eighteen percent of the market of people who are opting in to to have this information captured by them, and we've only, and we're only looking at one month, in spite of the fact that you know this, the promise of this, uh, these statistics were supposed to be out last year at WWDC, or they were announced then, right? It's taken you know 11 months for them 10 months to get them together right to make it to mm-hmm. make it public and mm-hmm. get it working and then they've only, they're only exposing one month worth of uh stats to us yeah. right so it's better than nothing that's true and that's, it's, yeah, you know, it's it's well, it's new so I, I think it'll get better one of the one of the things that i find most interesting in the whole thing is the attributions page uh yeah. where they tell you uh where the view came from in terms of oh, what yeah. website or something like that Oh really? Yeah. Look at that. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Is that uh, sources. The so tab? if you go, uh, if you go to, uh, yeah, exactly, sources. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, uh, Greg, do you have any apps on the store? I do, although one of them sadly is the not enough data to show anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I do. I do not have a good data point here, unfortunately. Are they all that way, or or all, or just the one? Oh uh, no, just the one. Yeah, I, I have a mix. The the higher viewed ones. It has some sources, but the lower viewed ones, it doesn't have enough data. So I think it just it's a it, it's a matter of it being too early on or, or not enough you know info yet to get there. But I'll tell you, thinking ahead, what makes me most excited about that, I'll tell you, is Apple obviously knows these things. Apple knows where you came from when you went to the App Store, right? Yeah. And they yeah. don't just know the the base URL, which is all they're showing us. They know the yeah. whole thing. Of course, yeah. of course. Right. So it seems like it wouldn't be too much of a stretch for them to be able at some point in the future, hopefully, you know, iOS 9, to mm-hmm. give us a way to, to pull that value into the app. Uh, so in other words, it, it would solve the problem, the old problem of you, you get sent to the app, site, app store from a, a website to yeah. go download an app. And then when you mm-hmm. run the app, there's no way of getting information back of where you came from. Right, right. And, right. you know, people play these probabilistic games, like, you know, uh, I think it's Tapstream does it, where they where they figure out what time of day it is and what your device and uh, right, what your lat right. long is, and, and they try to figure out a way to, to know where you are. So you can basically hmm. do deep linking into an app through the install uh, process. Uh, so if you guys so you want to like, do this. You guys want, like, application to finish with launching with options. You want one of the options to be, like, source URL or something. Eventually. Exactly. Is that what you mean? Yeah, uh-huh. that would be fantastic. That would change the game. I mean, this is this is something that 
for you know for social media apps and and e-commerce apps and all all these things a lot of stuff that I've been working on the past couple of years this would change the game there because you always want to know where you came from you know how do I know that you know if somebody shared say somebody it's a social media app let's say somebody shares with me through an email or or an SMS or something like that and they go and install the app right now there's no real way to know who it was that shared with you so I can instantly link up with that person or whatever you have to kind of play tricks to get it this would fix that um, it changes the advertising game it makes that a whole lot easier for for people whether that's good or not I don't know but uh, but it, but it definitely makes that much easier uh, I think this is a real possibility you know, this is something that Apple's been very silent on for years and it's sort of known as pretty much one of the, the biggest outstanding problems in, in all of iOS right now mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and this would fix it it feels like it's within reach. I'm hopeful. Well, the, the the Facebook API that you can put into your app does that kind of stuff. Like you can target, like you can obviously target who the market's going to go to, and then right. uh, it it gathers information from people's Facebook profile when they they follow the Facebook lead and buy your app and install your app and that kind of stuff. So right, we've right. done we've done a little bit of work with that, but but I, I don't have access to that information. But but that's the the goal of it. Um, by the way, the other the other qualifier about this too. I just looked at the about app data link on the side here. This is only also only people running iOS eight as well. So yeah, yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't include like it's so you know some of my apps still support iOS six and seven and you know. Um, but, it's interesting. I'm you know pretty much US is the only market I seem to be serving. You know, mind you, my my total views is like six hundred. It's like not nothing to write home to mom about, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, we're up to over eighty percent now in iOS eight adoption, which is good. Yeah. So and, and so under sources, you're seeing if you click on the sources link, you can see what websites and stuff, or or for some uh, apps, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm all. getting nothing. Yet. And the other thing too, you can do, which is kind of cool, is you can now create campaign links and and use those in your in your advertising, in your marketing, and then the this uh, analytic tool will capture that information as well, right? So, which is kind of cool. Another point uh, po- post that we had, we talked about, uh, or we saw online was, uh, um, and I caught it when Aaron posted it, was a new uh, change in the API. Uh, uh, API is that the right way to say it. In that um, was introduced in Xcode six point three, is uh, a new way of printing out using the printf command uh, to print out uh, information about your views. Um, in the command in the com- command console on the, when you're running an app, and if you hit a breakpoint or you pause your app or whatever, um, and you want to find out what the, the window dimensions are, for instance, uh, in currently if you type in something just off the cuff, it'll tell you that 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 particular uh, object you're looking for is not in scope. But if you and it's because it doesn't know what it is because it's a UI kit element or it's a foundation element if you're using OS 10. So I said that right that time. Um, and uh, boy, I know. RP, R, RWP for me. Uh, where was I? Yeah, so you import you import, import UI kit, and then you do your print command, uh, like, for instance, about your window dimensions, and uh, sure it sure enough gives you the correct dimensions. So what do you think? I think that's great, yeah. I, I, so just a little bit more detail on what you're saying. So it's, sure. it's basically it works within the LLDB debugger, yeah. and you can import... Uh, frameworks or modules into the debugger and then have the debugger know about types, exactly. uh, object types inside yeah. there so you can refer to them directly. I think it's a great thing. Because before you always had to cast things and it would say, right. you know, I want to print out the bounds, I want to print out the frame, I want to print out this view and it would be like, I have no idea what type that is. I cannot even print it out because it doesn't know about message sending apparently. But importing UI kit or whatever, whatever will 
I guess, import all of the method signatures and it knows what they are, and the property, all the types, and everything. So very handy. Yeah. There is a little yeah. tip at the end. I think it was added later uh, with a handy hack to have this done automatically. You can have a breakpoint to import UIKit for you and continue running. And then that way you don't have to remember to type import UIKit every single time. So if you look at the post in the notes, be sure to scroll down to the end of the post and look at the little tip on how to get this automatically. Now that was, that was uh, um, editing your, your environment, right, on your, on your Mac, right? No, right? no, no, that's um, actually in the debugger. Yeah. Oh, in the debugger, yep. okay, yeah. mm -hmm. right. I wasn't sure about that when I read that. Huh. Yeah, they even make a comment about how it doesn't uh, remain in scope from one session to the next session in the debugger. Oh, so you have okay, to, right. You have, to, you have to import that every time. So I think last week I mentioned uh, um, Avendekheiser's uh, PitchX app, and I was playing around with it a couple of days ago, and we were talking about it, and uh, I didn't realize that, that he was actually able to, uh, in the... In the phone app, I wanted to call it desktop app. In the phone app and in the watch app, what it what the app does basically is allows you to create pitchers, you know, for playing baseball, and the coach can then keep track of the number of throws that the pitcher has has thrown, so that you know they don't get tired or lose their arm or whatever uh, through through overuse. And what's cool about it though is he's got it so that when you tap a, uh, increment the count on your watch, it increments the count on the on the phone, or if you increment the count on the phone, it increments the count on your watch. And he was telling us the other day that he was doing this through uh, Darwin notifications. And, and Greg, you posted something about that just now? Yeah, I think Darwin notifications are a little bit of a sort of black art. And most people are probably familiar with NS notifications, which are much more full-featured. And mm -hmm. just as a quick overview, Darwin notifications are just basically, you know, NS notifications you post by name. You can send a sender. You can send a nice user info dictionary. And then you can package in a whole bunch of information. But Darwin notifications are just notification, no extra information. So it's just basically a notification name. Mm -hmm. But it's at such a low level that I guess people found out that this does work in extensions, including WatchKit extensions. Right. And so that's the way to not quite send a message, but send a poke back and forth between your iPhone app and your watch extension. Uh, in the case of Evan's app, for instance, he's mm -hmm. just saying increment the hit counter when you see this message kind of thing? Is that your... Uh, no, I think he's. In, uh, I think he has a sh shared core data. That's true, yeah. Um, he's using core data, so that's in the shared container area. Mm -hmm. And I think all the notification is doing is saying, hey, something has changed. So oh. when you hit the plus button on the watch, it updates the core data store. And then this is speculation. I haven't seen the source code for his app sure. or anything. Yeah. But then it'll send the Darwin notification that all it does is say, hey, something changed. And then, and then go, the go update your app, store, right? And then the phone app will say, hey, I just got that notification. That must mean something changed. Go to the store and then reload the view and vice versa. So I think that's what it's what Right, it's yeah, because other, otherwise there, there's the, the two devices get out of sync very quickly. And I think he was saying that the app will even crash if, if, uh, if, core data try, if you try to update core data and it doesn't match what's already there. I mean, Mark, you know yeah. a bit about core data, right? Sure. Do you follow what I'm saying here? or? Uh, can you say it again? Sorry. Well, so so what Evan did was he, in his WatchKit extension, he wanted to use, or in his Watch app, he wanted to use Core Data, and yep. he's using Core Data on on the the app itself on the on the phone. Right. And what he was saying was that that uh, they would get out of sync with each other because there's sort of no way to there was no way to tell to tell one or the other that that something had changed on on one of the two stores, right? And you were saying it's a shared store, though, Greg, right? I think that was part of the problem because you're supposed to use some kind of you're supposed to write some kind of locking yourself. I think core data is supposed to handle that for you. But Mark, right. you can imagine if two things had the same core data store 
open yep. at the same time yep. and then how to manage the sort of locking and if one of them changes the data does the other one get the notification apparently it's no and that's why he had to rely on darwin notifications to say hey something to change go and update yourself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh okay so it's it's analogous to having say two different contexts uh and updating one context and the other context needs to find out that one context i changed, think so but like I, yeah. but i guess they're in separate processes i don't know if that makes a difference right right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. They'd be on different threads, so mm -hmm. definitely makes a difference. Yep, I mean the different press. Yeah. So yeah. just to close off this particular topic, how do you, where do you think a core data uh, developer shops in a persistent store? Oh God! Oh my God! Did Siri tell you that joke, Tim? <laughs> no, I saw that online. <laughs> it was on a tweet, I think. All right, so we're man, I got you know I got some jokes. Do you want jokes? Yeah, give us a joke, man. <laughs> all right, I made these up myself. All right. Not all of them, okay. some of them. All right. Okay, an auto layout constraint walks into a bar. The bartender says, "Why the long face?" And the constraint says, "Just not satisfied." <laughs> <laughs> you like that one? That's a good one. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Do you think the Apple Watch will have wristful APIs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here all week, folks. Wow. This this one is somebody else came up with, I saw. I'm thinking of starting an iOS development shop. I'm going to call it Tailored Swift. <laughs> I think I saw that one, too. I like that one. It was like, why has no one made a shop called Tailored Swift yet? Or something That's like it. that. I like that one. Interesting. Did you shop for those jokes at the Persistent Store, Aaron? That's yeah. the real question. <laughs> uh, they were on sale. All right, so I guess we'll wrap it up. We usually do. We'll go around the table, see if anybody has any picks, and we'll start off with Aaron. Or Aaron, do you have any picks? I do. It is quite conventional, I'm afraid, hmm. but I'm pretty excited about it. It is the new MacBook. Oh. Um. So... The link is in the show notes in case you don't know where to go to find out more about it. But let me clarify: Did you say new MacBook or your new MacBook? No, oh, no Farley's new MacBook. Mine. I just want to Farley's check. new MacBook. Uh, <laughs> friend of the show, Farley Caesar, was at the taco meeting last night with his brand new space gray MacBook, and I had the chance to handle it for the first time. Um, I was really surprised because a lot of the reviews about the MacBook suggested that it was a very compromised machine, hmm. both in terms of performance, size. Uh, the keyboard, um, and the ports, of course. Now, I can't really speak to the ports because I haven't lived with it at all, but in every other respect, I think that this is an incredibly capable machine. Let me put it this way. I think it's the purest expression of Mac OS X that Apple has ever produced because the hardware is so slight, so thin, so light, and so beautiful <laughs> that it really gives OS X... A place to shine. Hmm. It's it's as if it's as if you're holding the operating system in your hands because the hardware is so thin and light. Um, I use this thing. Uh, Farley gave me a few minutes to play with it. He's running Xcode. It's a Retina display. It's about the same resolution. It's pretty close. And when you set the MacBook's resolution to um, highest, I guess you'd say when you uh, most space. What would you call that? Yeah, mo most space. Going. That's it. Thank you. And um, it actually ends up being very similar to my current 13-inch MacBook Pro in terms of what fits on the screen. Performance seems really snappy. The It's a 1.2 gigahertz processor, which sounds really bad, mm -hmm. but it does turbo boost up to 2 point something gigahertz. And in, in practice, it seems to fly pretty well. 
And of course, it's got an SSD in there, and it works pretty well. Now, people are talking about how the performance is equal to something that you'd see from a 2011-era MacBook. Hmm. Um, but to be honest, you know, I don't think MacBook performance has dramatically improved that much in the last four years. So it's not really saying much to say that it hasn't improved or that it's a, a equivalent. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so what? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I, I don't know, you know if I agree with that statement, to be honest. I, I, you, know, you think that MacBooks are dramatically faster now than they were in, in 2011? Try using an old one. I'm yeah. using a well, Sony, I don't know I'm one. using a 2012 MacBook really? right now. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's Oh, fine. a MacBook or MacBook Pro? It, this is a MacBook Pro. And is it a Retina one? or? Yeah, Retina MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. And I, I've complained about this already on the show, yeah. that you know, if I went out to Apple today and brought a brand new MacBook Pro, it would not be dramatically faster than the one I'm using right now. Is it the same processor and same processor speed that's available now? or? I don't know. Do I have to look it up for you? No, no. It's not that... The reason why I asked you know, is, is going back to my old hardware days and... and, and uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you would find it would be a lot better. Like I have, a, I use a MacBook Air myself, 2013, but yeah. I bought it with the with the fastest processor you could buy and the most amount of RAM yeah, and, and, and drive, right? Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah. My complaint, you know, one complaint about SSDs is they're they're still too freaking small. But um, yeah, of course. But well, uh, I think I think that was the thing we were talking about yesterday as well was that the this is one of those new super SSDs that only uses four lanes instead of two or whatever right. it is, and I think when I was asking Farley how Xcode was, and he was saying, well, you know, a lot of it is still I.O. bound, even for compiling, opening up all those little files all the time. So I can imagine even if the processor speed is the same and actually doing the compilation work is the same, since you're writing those files and reading them much faster, that maybe that helps make up for it. Because, you know, that's definitely what I don't like about my old 2010 MacBook Pro before I put in the SSD. It was just the disk grinding away, right? Yeah, yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. going from spinning disk to SSD is a massive improvement. Mm. And so all these benefits of having a solid-state architecture inside of this hardware, um, you know, you're, you're getting it on a computer that's that's three years old, four years old, and um, it still works great. So, um, you know, you're obviously not getting the, the fastest-performing Mac that money can buy, obviously. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. This is a, like, when people say, is this the computer for, for most people? I would say absolutely. I yeah. mean, if you're willing to spend a little extra, obviously, right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the downside. But on the whole, um, you can see that this is exactly where the future is well, going. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Is it, it, it did seem to me that when it was introduced, that this and based on the fact that it's coming in gold, silver, and space gray, this is kind of where that whole... The whole market is going with Apple with the, with these products, right? So, it's really exciting. I, uh, having played with it um, and used it for a little bit, um, I got very excited about it. And uh, you know, I can I can certainly I could imagine having one and replacing my MacBook Pro with it. And I I would never have said that until I used. I it. saw some comments. So I know Greg, what you were talking about you saw the the MacBook at the at the Eaton store, Eaton Center store. And so, what did you think of the keyboard, Greg or Aaron, and the and the the trackpad. I like the, the keyboard actually. Yeah. You know what it reminded me of the key. Just speaking of the keyboard, is uh, typing on an iPad. Yeah, like. I know, I know that sounds terrible, but you know um, when you type on an iPad, and if you you know have it in landscape, like I'm yeah. talking about, like yeah. an iPad Air yeah. in landscape, mm-hmm. and and you just sort of you give yourself up to the idea of your touch typing, right? Sure. And if you are you a touch typist, so sort of. 
Okay. Well, for someone who's a touch typist and stays on home row and knows which keys to hit, if you just let yourself go and you're accustomed to the size of the keyboard on an iPad, yeah. okay, you can actually fly on that thing. Mm. Now, you may make some mistakes, and you always will, but you ha- if you give yourself up to that idea of, of throwing yourself at the keys and you know where all the keys are, I can do like 120 words a minute on an iPad keyboard. Really? Mm. Yeah. Um, typeracer.com. Try it out. So, <laughs> typeracer. Okay. Um, and it sort of it felt like I was trying to do the same thing when I tried the MacBook keyboard. Because the key throw is so shallow, mm-hmm. you're not actually sure that you've pressed the key. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. At least not right away. And I'm sure that in time I would become accustomed to it. But I opened up the Notes app and I, I just started typing on the thing. And I sort of had that sense of, did I actually hit that button or not? Hmm. But if as soon as you sw- flip the switch in your head where you don't care if you hit the button or not, of course you hit the button, you know? And then you're flying. And so I, I'm certain, 100% certain, that I would be accustomed to that keyboard in within the space of an hour. Hmm. One of the issues, though, are those arrow keys. Yeah, what was that sound, sound exchange on? Not a fan Where, where the are they? Keys. How are they... Well, they're in the same spot on the bottom right of the keyboard, but the left and right arrow keys are double height uh, compared to the up and down. Oh, okay. And so, and because of their their thinness, it's difficult to feel them. So as you say, like what I do is I move my right hand over to the side Mm -hmm. and feel the keys and push the left or right. You know, like if I'm moving through text while I'm coding, for example. Sure, yep. Option right arrow, move across a word at a time. Command right arrow to move the whole line, right? Um, that is much more difficult with this these arrow keys because they're so shallow and so close together, really. You, it's difficult to uh, dis- distinguish them. So, you know, and Farley said the same thing. Like, he's had it for over a week now, and he says that's the, that's the one big thing that he's getting tripped up by. Um, as for the Taptic uh, trackpad, very cool. Like, Everybody has said it already, and so it doesn't really make. I'm not adding anything. Um, it, it definitely feels like a regular tap. And then if you just like with the watch, we talked about force touching, pushing right through, you know, doing a touch on your watch, and then pushing through to have that that little taptic hit that you get. Well, it's the same feeling on the MacBook's trackpad. Let me ask you on the, on the. Uh, I've been using laptop PowerBook since they first came out, and and initially they didn't really have a. Uh, a click, you know, they they kind of you kind of just tap touch them, um, and you can I know you can do that. You can do the touch thing with with the uh, with the glass uh, trackpads now or yeah trackpads. Um, how do you feel now? Do you do you push down on the thing or do you just tap it with your finger when you're when you're using a tap pad, a touchpad now, trackpad? If I'm tapping to select, um, I'll just do a tap yeah. on yeah. it. Um, but if I'm doing a drag, like a mouse like drag, click and, drag. Cl- click and hold it down, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, click and drag. Then I actually like push down on the trackpad right. and move with the other finger. Um, and of course, you can do all this with this new trackpad. It's it's no different. I I don't see any learning curve at all with so it. So the force touch is not being used for a different uh, command. It's yes, of course. Oh, okay. It is. Uh, but it's totally optional. You don't have to use them at mm-hmm. all, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Farley demonstrated uh, uh, mousing over to a word mm-hmm. and then doing a force touch on the word. And it comes up with a dictionary definition. Oh, okay, so it's like a control click almost. Well, yeah, in, in it's, it's case, like so. a, a third, a third control click, right? You know, or a second, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, left click, right click, force click, and it, it can enable any kind of functionality. And it's up to the developer, right? So cool. 
Um, yeah, I don't know if, if that particular um, new form of inf interface command is going to make any difference or matter, um, but I think the huge win is the fact that they could make uh, a trackpad thin enough to fit inside this hardware, um, but still feel like, and uh, indistinguishably feel like, not not sort of kind of feel so like. So it's, it's wafer thin, the uh, the laptop? It is wafer thin, uh, Sam. Really? Would you like just one more? One more MacBook Air. Yes, I would very cool. much. So, big fan. Um, and if you haven't seen one in person yet, I mm. uh, highly recommend it. It'll change your thinking about it, I swear to God. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. What I like to do is go into the Apple Store and download Xcode. <laughs> um, because that's, that's pretty much uh, number one use case for a Mac these days for me is how it runs Xcode. So can you do that on the Mac Store with well. Macs? I guess you can, right? The Wi-Fi's not uh, that good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to wait a while because yeah. <laughs> it's a big download. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if I did, you know, got a USB key or something and brought you one. You need an adapter, remember? Yeah, that's right. Oh, bag of dongles, break. bag of dongles. That's right. Bag of dongles. All right, um, Greg, do you have a pick? I do have a pick. Okay. Keeping on the theme of Darwin notifications, uh, as I mentioned before, Darwin notifications don't have any sort of user info that goes along with the ride. You just post the notification by name, and then that's it. And there's this open source project called Wormhole from the folks at Mutual Mobile down in Austin, Texas. And the gentleman there, Conrad Stoll, has this open source project called MM Wormhole. And the idea is it's like a wormhole between your app and whatever else. It was built for extensions. So it's between your iOS app or your OS X app and its app extension. And it also works with uh, WatchKit extensions. So the idea is very similar. It's all Objective-C. Some stuff in Darwin notifications is a C-based API. Anyway, this is all object-oriented. You post a notification with a user info dictionary, and it will even work over Darwin notification. So behind the scenes, it's actually writing a file to disk with the same name. And then on the other end, when it receives the Darwin notification, it looks in the shared container for a file with that name. And then it serializes, unserializes with NS coding. And it looks like, it feels like NS Notification Center, where you get a notification and then you also get an object along with it. But it works across apps and extensions with Darwin notifications behind the scenes. But it wraps it all up in a very nice package. So it's the so same. Yeah, it's yeah. a way better API yeah. than the Darwin notifications. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to write oh C and Lord. open up uh, mock ports on your, uh, on your tasks. Yeah. No, I do not. I do not wish to do this, sir. In this case, yes, check it out, because it's very cool. Uh, like I said, OS X extensions, iOS extensions, including WatchKit. So posting notifications across and also sending a little bundle of NS coding compliant data. So it's an open source project, and check it out if you're doing any kind of extension-based apps. Cool, like WatchKit. Yep. Alrighty, uh, my pick has actually to do with with the watch itself, or using the watch in in day to day usage, and it, and it was something I saw on our uh, five kit, five minute watch kit group uh, by Jordy Bruin, uh, I believe he's from Europe somewhere, um, and he he linked to an article that was on iMore, and it was about how to uh, one of the problems I've been having with my watch is because I'm all thumbs, is um, you know, I don't always try to center the app that I want to click on into the center of the watch. It kind of, it may be off to the side or whatever. And in the default um, presentation of this honeycomb uh, interface, uh, whatever we call it, springboard or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, the the icons animate and they get smaller and larger. You know, they they taper off to like down to nothing on the on the edges. And so 
uh, oftentimes I was finding I was clicking on the wrong application. I'd go to open a timer and I'd click on the clock, or I'd go to hit one open Twitter and I'd, hit, I'd click on remote because they're right beside each other. I haven't bothered to sort of organize my my icons on my on my watch yet. But by turning off, by going into accessibility on the watch app that goes with the on the phone that goes that con controls your watch, going into accessibility, going down to re reduce motion and turning that off or turning it on. You know, enabling reduced motion, it makes all the icons the same. I guess it's 30 pixels high, right? Are they 30 pixels these icons? So in other words, I don't get the I don't get the you know the cool little animation, but at least now I have a, a whole watch full of icons that I can actually manage to tap on, no matter where they are on the screen, on the left or right or in the center, or what have you. And that way, I'm I'm finding I'm I'm much more successful at getting the app that I want to launch on the watch. So. Of course, if you're having trouble with the watch, I, I'll, I'll just say, though, you can also do this from the watch. If you use the settings app on the watch, you can oh, go can into you? accessibility. Yeah, so you okay. can do it through there. But of course, if you're having trouble tapping stuff on the watch, <laughs> it's not as useful, and you can do it on the phone. So. Well, it's not so much, I mean, it's not so much that when you get into like a table view, and like as you're saying here, like the accessibility table view, that's quite easy to get to, right? Yeah, I've got reduced motion turned on. Um, but. You know, I'm not. I don't find that to be the problem. I just, I was just having trouble with with this little springboardy, honeycomby, whatever they. What do we even know what they call this thing yet? Um, I call it springboard. Do you? Okay. Yeah. I, f I still find it yeah. annoying that I have to hit the digital crown every now and then to get back to it and then get back to the watch. And it's there should be there should be some sort of uh, better way than having because I don't know about you, but like, do you not find having to grab the watch all day long, like you know, thumb on the one side, finger on the other to push the, the digital crown in is a bit of an annoyance or do you not or do you not get into it that much no that doesn't bother me no? i mostly watch face and notifications all day oh i see so yeah you, pretty you much for the twitter and then you click on it and go pretty to the much the, the springboard is very rare if i do i'm like oh hit the crown by accident hit it again get back into the watch face oh really yeah then, huh. yeah that's pretty much it for me and, and do you do, do you hit the crown the digital crown with one finger or do you I guess it depends on how tightly you have the watch on your wrist too, right? Yeah, I was just trying it when you mentioned that. No, I, I, you're, I use my thumb on the other side to, yeah. to do it. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it, you know, and it kind of like look, what I'm saying is, is that action. It's kind of like trying to take a picture on on an iPhone six or six plus with with the power button and uh, volume control buttons being so equally spaced there. I can't tell you how many times I turned my screen off rather than taking a picture. You know. Anywho. Right, so uh, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? They can go to Twitter at Aaron Bay or check out my website, magpievideo.com. You know, we did it again. We did talk about magpie. Yep, yeah, did it again. Nobody cares about magpie. Well, I think we're going to I got to get used to that. Every time that someone mentions magpie, what do you think? <laughs> Ding. <Yeah. laughs> well, I guess we'll do it next week. Uh, maybe by then we'll actually have news to report, but we'll probably skip it again. I understand. So are we? Well, I'm it's it's really not that topical for this show. Like. It's like we tend to talk about larger issues, right? So, yeah. um, you know, talking about my app seems you know, self-serving. Just, just to interject here, I think that app rejections are something that do come up a lot in conversations that I have with other developers. Like, in, how come my app got rejected? Is a lot of a lot of, and then you look at what the what the rationale was, and oh, then we all jump and dive into the documentation and find out what the issue was, right? So, it is it well, is a topical thing, I think for. But they're also very idiosyncratic, yeah. right? So, like, the reasons my app is getting rejected um, will have nothing to do with the reason other people get their apps rejected. Right, right. Or, you know, or may, but probably won't. So where are you in the, in the grand scheme of things? You've, been, you've had a couple of rejections and then you've submitted I'm, again? or? Yeah, I've submitted uh, 
for the third time on iOS, and I'm uh, actually written back to Apple to seek clarification on the last rejection. Right. You did something because in the it, it, Resolution Center, right? In the last rejection? Well, in the first one, I did go through the Resolution Center, okay. and I filed a, a um, what do they call that? A, a complaint? or a no. WTF? Okay. <laughs> I, uh, there's the actual term for response? it. I'm sorry. I just, like uh, no, it isn't. There like is a response. for but clarification, or I, I forget. No, this is like where you, where you actually go to the... Oh, you're going to make me look it up. Um, damn it. Because when you go to the Resolution Center... Just give me a moment here. And the Resolution Center. Jeez, I can't even find the word. No. It's very distracting. <laughs> um, okay, an appeal. When you file an appeal, that's what it's called. All right. So they reject, and then you can. You've got two actions that you can do. You can reply, and there's just a text field right there in the rejection, or you can appeal, and that's where you're like, I don't agree with the grounds of my rejection, mm -hmm. and uh, I need clarification on that. And so that's what I was forced to do for the Mac version. Uh, I see. At one point, um, and and suffice to say, it's complicated enough that I could tell a story that would last 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, of, but but would be of interest to almost not, nobody in our audience. Um, well, we'll ask for feedback. If you're interested in hearing the story, let us know. Otherwise, we'll tune in next week to find out what, what happened. Same bat time, same bat channel. You know? oh, we'll end with yeah. a cliffhanger. That's good. Yeah. I like it. I like yeah. it. <laughs> there you go. Need some organ so. music. Yeah. All right. Uh, the, the nut is I'm just waiting right cool. now. Cool. All right. So, and Greg, people were looking for you on the interwebs. Where would they find you? They should go on to the Twitters. I am at Greg Heo. And Mark, where can people find you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. Oh, by the way, I apologize. Last week I said your email was mrubin, not uh, Mark R at smapsoft.com. Did you did you oh. did you want to uh, repost your your uh, job search or, or or did you find somebody? Uh, haven't found someone, but we're sort of moving past that, I guess. Um, past, but okay. but yeah, if if anyone out there uh, has experience with UI automation and uh, animating, uh, sorry, automating. Uh, uh, testing on iOS, give me a shout. We could use some help. Okay, great. Um, and my name is Timitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, it-guy.com. And that's it. I guess we'll see you guys next week for the big cliffhanger, you know, conclusion to the magpie saga. saga. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thanks. All right, good Bye. night. Bye. Greg? Bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. It's not bad today. Yeah, we're really good, actually. Maybe, like maybe, the same the <laughs> <laughs> maybe he is. At least we won't we won't have the ice cream truck driving around tonight. 
I'm going to miss that ice cream truck. What I, oh, I missed that, I guess. Was that last week? There was an ice cream truck? Well, the last couple of weeks, there's been, a, I guess, it must be like the 6.30 ice cream truck goes by, mm. you know, and and usually has guys in the in the behind his house warming up their motorcycles, too, so. I've heard those. So but I remember yesterday at the meetup, we were, some people were like, do you think Apple, I was, I was thinking Apple had no idea and had totally forgotten about Darwin notifications, and when people started using it, I don't know, that's just a feeling I get that. It's this but I think I think you're right. Hidden thing that they're like, oh, that is so cool. Darwin know the video. Of course, that's how you do it. And I have a feeling that the, they were kind of caught by surprise, thinking that in fact that does work with extensions and between extensions and app. And your poster is a, is a, an article on on developer.apple.com. Um, Where's that? That's from the Mac documentation. Uh, well, it's the same thing. It's just a conceptual thing on what it is and uh, I guess how mm -hmm. it's different. Because I guess most people are used to you know cocoa. And this notification center kind of thing. So that just gives yeah. you an overview of when would you use one and the other. Yeah, I'm looking for my doc oh, preferences. Where'd they go? What happened to doc preferences? They used to be right in the menu. Hmm. Doc Yosemite preferences. shaking fist at screen. Right click on the separation bar in the dock. Oh, and that brings it up? Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's cool. well, they call it magnification there. Yeah, same sort of idea. Percent for me, but what do you... Yeah, what zero kind of iPod. Zero percent yeah. iPod. Yeah. So I'm, I'm at 67 iPad and 33% uh, iPhone. If so. I wanted to pretend to be one of those secret sources to Mac rumors, I'd say, oh, that means the iPod is sticking around after all, and maybe an iPod Touch refresh is coming up. Really? This year. I don't know. I would say I would say, hey, but it's still why would they bother building it into the analytics and just roll it into iPhone oh, type devices or something like that? Yeah. It's a separate yeah. thing. But it's still alive. Well to me it means I shouldn't even bother testing on the iPod. <laughs> <laughs> How are your what's your iPad ring ring look like there, Mark? Uh, I'm looking at a few different apps now. I see zero percent iPod. I'm just looking at the I'm looking at the over, overview. Oh, the overview. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, there. sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking at. You're right. I'm just looking at one app myself. So, is there? Yeah, I guess you have to you have to go into, you have to drill into each app at one yeah, time. Yeah, that's kind of what I said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got no countries downloaded my app, and yet I got uh, 43 views and seven souls. Another huh. another zero percent iPod. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think I think it's it's way too early for a lot of like a lot of my apps are like you know I'm not surprised they're even on this list. They're so so insignificant in terms of downloads right now. Hmm. So gotta come up with that pillbox watch app. You should. That was a great idea. Yeah. But you've been talking about it for two months now, so somebody else is probably writing it already. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's a whole it's a whole execution thing, right? Yeah.